Welcome to Friends with Davey. This is a podcast all about my friends and their interesting lives. We talk about the funny, the crazy, the traumatizing, and the recovery. And that is why I'm here today with my friend Calvin Wayman. Uh, Calvin is a former Mormon. A lot of us have known Mormons. We've had some friends that might have been Mormon. Calvin's Mormonism was a little bit different than the standard. Uh, Calvin, I'm so excited you're oh, here man. today. Uh, I can't wait to uh, talk about what it was like for you, it's man. It's always fun to connect with other uh, ex-cult member friends, compare each other's <laughs> stories, uh, their their cults, the similarities and the differences. It's fun. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I did grow up in a cult, uh, the Shiny Happy People cult, otherwise known as IBLP. But I, I mean, just hearing a little bit about your story, my, my cult paled in comparison to what you grew up in, dude. So, so tell me... Tell me a little bit about the cult that you were raised. Sure, in. just to jump right back to jump to the the Mormon thing and how it's different. So yes, it's a Mormon kind of cult. Um, how it's a little bit different than you might think of with, with regular Mormon or LDS is I grew up in fundamentalist Mormonism. Some people also call there it, you know, FLDS. Um, but there's actually different versions of FLDS. People don't re recognize. And basically, what my church is is we're like the, I still consider the LDS church also a cult, um, but they're a bigger one than the one I was born into. We're like the shadow that the LDS church wishes they could just go away because the LDS church gets flack from formerly being sex too sexist or racist and stuff like that. Mine actually was. So, of course, Mormonism is famous for their early founders being polygamists. My right. church still practice practices polygamy so i was born into polygamy so i have one dad wow. four moms and more siblings than you could count on all of your fingers and toes and other appendages um it, uh, it usually doesn't register so i'll have to say it a couple times but i have 44 siblings 44 40 yes not 14 siblings. uh each of my moms had 11 to 13 kids each um, I was the 11th of the 45 of us total. Um, but yeah, 44 siblings all in one house. Wow. That's a, okay. So the cult that I grew up in, uh, I mean, the big families were like 10, 11, 12 mm -hmm. kids. That's a lot. You had 45 kids mm -hmm. in your yep. household. That is wild. I, I mean, what's it like growing up with that many kids running around? It was normal. Um, that's the best way to oh. announce or to, to explain mm. it because it, it's all I knew and everybody else I knew had big families as well. Other polygamous families. Ours was a, certainly a little bit bigger than the average. It wasn't the biggest though. Like my grandfather had like 15 wives and I, I don't think, I think he had kids all the way up to like 10 years before his passing. And so wait, 15. Yeah. Wives? He was one of the church leaders. I mean, I can't even get a text back and your grandfather. That's, had that's why that's why you can't wives. get a text back. Because <laughs> <laughs> grandpa. Exactly. Them He's got them. He's 15. still got 15 wives, probably 70 something kids. Um, so, yeah, so it was wow. it was not out of the ordinary to me because, again, it's all I knew. Did you all live in like a, a, a secluded community? We, what, what was we lived like? in a suburb of Salt Lake City. Uh, and okay. it was a dead end street, so it was somewhat secluded fenced yard. I didn't ever go out in public, certainly with not 
without permission. If I did go out in public, I was probably sneaking with my siblings, keeping an eye out from the parents so I could go get a junior bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's or something from McDonald's oh, and get nice. back before I got caught. But yeah, uh, fenced yard, just, just, yeah, very little contact with the, with the Gentiles, the outside world. But it was right there in Salt Lake yeah. City. Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're out in the open, hidden in plain totally. sight. And especially my grandfather, Crazy. because my grandfather uh, didn't just live in a suburb of Salt Lake City. He, 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 his property that's is still there to this day has got to be one of the biggest pieces of land in the heart of a city that nobody even knows about because it's so well hidden because wow. he has probably like 15 acres or more in a city and again hidden in the shadow of the LDS church well and and if you haven't been to Salt Lake City uh you know it's it's not a big mm -hmm. city yeah I, I mean especially it's a, not compared to like Boston city. or LA or New York City yeah right and it's surrounded yep. by mountains right so so you come into like when, when I've flown into Salt Lake City before you can see the whole mm -hmm. city from the mm -hmm. air and and you're pretty low to the ground so it's it's not that big and so the fact that he's got 15 acres mm -hmm. right in the middle of the mm -hmm. city with 15 wives and you said like 70 yeah kids? something like that I, it could be more i'm not i, I don't exactly wow. know i know his posterity is bananas uh somebody was counting it and this is wild but it's somewhere between well, the, like it's it's not going to make sense until you actually start counting it because somebody did it's between 700 to a thousand posterity from that one dude from his wow. kids that J just the off just think yeah. about it he had 70 kids my dad had 45 that's a lot right there i mean that's 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 over a yeah. hundred so his and that's not wow. counting the kids that had kids so it could be well over a thousand somebody counted it and it's at least mm. 700 to a thousand of his posterity well i will say you know, one of the interesting things is your your dad was actually putting up better numbers than your grandfather. How so? Because uh, he only had. Oh, got it. Well, he only oh, got it. His batting average. Forty four yeah, exactly. kids. So each wife yeah. was doing each. Yeah, yeah. They were double time. So props to my dad, but certainly props to my mom's for for like. <laughs> yeah, props <laughs> exactly. to the moms, right? <laughs> so did, were there were there um, special rules? within within your cult you kidding me uh, as far as like what you could wear how oh, you man <laughs> that's what it is that's what it is yes absolutely so so, so like we we weren't allowed to listen to rock music totally. all the women had to wear same. dresses same Good date was it was it similar oh, yeah. to that okay oh, yeah. tell me about your specific rules i could never wear this i'm wearing short sleeves for anybody listening uh short sleeves and shorts uh because in mormonism there's the there's this thing called the garments the lds church mm -hmm. has changed yeah. it over the years on what the garments look like, but they were pretty, we, we kept pretty original to the, to what they should do. And that is cover your entire body. And so we had to then wear clothes to cover the garments, which long sleeve shirt, you know, long pants, women wearing dresses, um, definitely never dated. Um, that's a big, that's a big thing in my journey is I, there's so many rules around not just doing good, but not, not fucking your life up, your, your, your salvation, mm -hmm. your soul. And one of the ways you right, could do that right. in my upbringing is if you were to have premarital sex, let's say you could go to hell and be put in yes. the, 
the the outer darkness, like the worst part of hell. And what's super unique and interesting about Mormonism is you, Davey, probably could date and have sex, but you'd be okay, but I wouldn't. Yeah, because I'm a Gentile. Like exactly. You said. So in Mormonism, yeah, we are judged not based on, you know, even playing field sin. We're judged based on the level of truth that we've been given. And so, Davey, you just didn't, haven't had the chance to hear the truth of, you know, God assigning and arranging marriages, because that's what they did, assign and arrange marriages, because there were there were souls that we promised each other before this life that we were going to find each other and get married. And if you were to go date someone and that wasn't the soul that you promised, you're basically committing adultery even before you got married. And so, um, yep. and so, oh man, it's fascinating. The more I'm out of it and reflect on, on how deep this goes, goes, but, um, just how crazy it yeah, was. Right? Uh, yeah. But what yeah. That, I mean, I mean, same for yeah, me. What that ultimately led came to is, Probably one of the biggest sins that a member could ever make, certainly the one I faced when I was questioning myself if I was going to stay in it or leave, was this sin is worse than, than you know, murder or anything else, and that is if you leave. If you leave the, yes, the faith. because... Mm -hmm. God loved you enough to let you be born in the one true church. Yes, you probably right. fought valiantly before this life to get this chance. And if you get given the blessing, with that comes responsibility and standard and expectations from God. But mm -hmm. if you leave it, it's like flipping off God. And so that's worse right. than, than anything. And so, yeah. So, yeah, that, a lot of rules. And, and, you know, it's... It's it's interesting how many parallels there are here, Calvin. Because you're you're exactly right. Well, I mean, not exactly right, but the, what it's resonating so much. This piece about if you ever leave the faith, the one true faith, that is the capital totally. sin. Yeah, right. That's one of the things that I loved learning about when I was doing my faith crisis and exploring was recognizing how many churches are the one true church. You know, of course, I wish more people of knew course. that instead of, I, in fact, I would argue that's what's probably better than trying to tear down someone's religion to them. Cause the last, the last creature on the planet to discover water is a fish. Similar to that, the last person to discover the cult is a cult member. And so mm -hmm. the best thing to do is to like show all these other ones and maybe the light bulb goes off on how many of these individual cults are like, we're the only one. <laughs> we're the only one really thinking that uh we're so special and in reality they're not everyone thinks that they are unique and special how ironic and absolutely how, on the truth how ironic right? we're the we're the special mm -hmm. ones and and like on the outside looking at all these ones it's like it's textbook it's like you can predict right. how these cults are going to behave and and yet they feel like they're the when you're in it you don't know like it feels like we're the mm -hmm. we're special we have some extra special information that the rest of the world doesn't have you look out on the news everything's horrible it's going to shit in a handbasket because they're not in the truth so it's all right. fascinating uh, so how many how many people were in the the cult or, or your cult so community? fundamentalist mormonism as a full movement 
I actually think I want to quickly say where fundamentalism came from because I get a lot of okay. comments on that I see online of LDS members saying, just so we're clear, these are completely separate. Technically, yes. Mm. There is this undeniable connection, though, that I think needs to be highlighted. Mormon, fundamentalist Mormonism would never exist without the LDS church. Indeed, mm. it comes from the LDS church. So where did it come from? The early founders... Joe, um, certainly Joseph Smith was a polygamist, Brigham Young was a polygamist and, and founders there. They were preaching, this is the way to get to heaven, not just heaven, the highest heaven, because in Mormonism, we have multiple degrees of heaven. And to get to the celestial kingdom, the highest heaven, you have to live polygamy. And so it was taught that that's what you do for a whole generation. Utah was trying to gain statehood. Utah was founded by Mormons. We migrated from upstate New York to then Illinois all the way to Utah. And we wanted to gain statehood, but the federal government was giving the officials in Utah, especially the officials in the LDS church, a lot of grief saying, this is worse than slavery. I, we, you guys are living polygamy? No. And then eventually there was laws passed federally that gave the government the ability to start cracking down on the church, even seizing church property because of their practices. And then suddenly mm -hmm. the, the officials, the, the prophets of my past, uh, the church got this revelation from God. Oh, we don't have to live polygamy anymore. And so <laughs> crazy, right. right? <laughs> but they had just preached it for a couple generations. And there were members that were like, I'm not giving up my family. And I'm not giving up my salvation to the celestial kingdom either, just because, yes, you're saying that the government or you're saying that God gave this revelation, but I can read between the lines. And this is actually the church, my church um, changing to mm -hmm. because of the outside pressure. And there were members mm -hmm. that decided that they were still going to continue to live that way, even if that the, it was against the official doctrine. The federal government heard about that as well, that there were people that were still living it. So ultimately, the LDS church started excommunicating members that were living polygamy. The same members that were that were literally following what the church was teaching them for two generations. Wow. That's where fundamentalism comes from. Wow. From excommunicated church members that were living out the very doctrine that they heard from their leaders. So that's mm -hmm. the connection. So fundamental. How interesting yeah, is that? It's fascinating. It boils uh, that, my, that it, there's, there's hypocrisy. You know, I don't love fundamentalism. I don't love the LDS church. I love humans. And I, and I don't love when I see, of course, certainly uh, people in power and leadership that's like just messing with people's livelihoods and, mm -hmm. and psychology and stuff like that. It's bananas the more you go down this rabbit hole. But um, from that split, there's a big fundamentalist Mormon movement. There's probably tens of thousands, um, maybe like 70,000 total fundamentalists um, in, in really? at this point. But it's not all one church because what this created when that split happened, 
is basically keeping the tradition of Joseph Smith. The tradition of Joseph Smith that made Mormonism so powerful is this argument of whose right it is to rule, who has God's true authority. And the way you have God's true authority is, is have this special power called the priesthood. Um, I like to think of it now as like Harry Potter-like powers, that you think you can do these cool things, that you can speak for God, that you can give people blessings. And this is why you can't have a regular Christian pastor that's telling you things because he doesn't have the priesthood. And if they don't have the priesthood, then they could be controlled by the devil. So when the split happened, there was this big argument of who actually has the priesthood. You know what? It wasn't us that apostatized. This was people talking that were fundamentalists. It's my church. They went against the doctrine. They we're the ones that have the priesthood. We're the true leaders. And so the few that left or got kicked out were like, we got to carry on this. Like they got emboldened. They were like, we got to carry on this mission that our founder, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, like they're turning in their graves that their church apostatized. And from there, there have been people within fundamentalism that were like, you're not doing it quite right. You're not doing it quite right. We're the ones that are the true ones. And so for for generations, there have been splint off groups. There's the most infamous FLDS church, uh, Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs is in prison forever. Right. That church and my church was one church in my dad's generation. Somewhere along the line, they over the same argument, leadership dispute, who's right it is to rule, it's split into two churches. They basically, and it's wild what happens when the split offs happen. So you're... Your church, the, the the church that, or the community that you were a part of growing up. 2,000 members. Uh, with your dad and his four wives. They were at one point affiliated with Warren the Jeffs. They were one Every the single same. member from my church was wow. once that, that one. I dodged a bullet, frankly, because Warren Jeffs was never my prophet. My prophet was my grandfather. My great-grandfather helped found it. Um, Charles F. Zitting, like... Yeah, it like it was all in fact, my great grandfather during his time, it was this it was the same church. And then there was this big leadership dispute you can over the idea of who should rule, should one man rule or should like a council of men rule? And on the Warren Jeff side, they were like one man should rule. And boy, did we get to see it play out what happens with that idea. A lot of people think Warren Jeff started it. He didn't. In fact, um, when the split off happened, the church that I became a part of was like a council of men rule. So there was some level of checks and balances. It's still culty, mm. but look what happened on the Warren Jeff side, one man rules. And so, uh, Warren Jeffs is like third in line from that idea. At first there was this guy, Leroy Johnson, that was like super old when he was like only one man's in charge. And then the next prophet in line from him was Warren Jeff's dad. Rulon okay. Jeffs. And then the way Warren got in there was so sl slick and sneaky. He basically, when his dad was getting old, he had no official church position. But what he but the but okay. the the congregation was conditioned to like I'm trying to use a word that's that's that that can land more than worship, but that's better than like something like that, like show deference, idolize, idolize, idolize the, the prophet. They idolized Leroy Johnson so much so that even people in my church that aren't a part of that one still talk about that guy. Like Brother Johnson was the best. That's when the times were great. He's such a mm -hmm. great man. And then ruling Jeff's Warren's dad, they 
like praised him, no one would have ever praised Warren enough to put him in a leadership position. He was he was a pretty slimy dude, even even younger. But this mm. is what he did when his dad was getting old and sick. He spoke for his dad. He had a good relationship with his dad. So he would speak at the pulpit on behalf of his dad. And so the way people took it is like he was like, I'm speaking for my father in his Warren Jeff's voice. If anybody actually listens, it's the wildest, creepiest freaking voice. Um, but he would preach. And by the way, all this is public now, Some like somewhere online. I have a Google Drive folder of every single sermon that Warren Jeff's ever made in, in any other one. Um, oh, wow. But because Mormons are big on record keeping for some reason, it's going to help mm -hmm. in the afterlife. But <laughs> what happened was he started preaching for his dad and everybody started listening to him because it wasn't Warren speaking. It was his dad. And then they had crazy stories like that. The, his dad, even though Ruland was getting old and sick, he wasn't going to die. He was going to live forever, actually, at least 300 years. Spoiler alert, he did not live 300 years. So yeah. he died. But then Warren was like, I'm like, you would think, well, now he's just in charge. because he, he did one step before that. He's like, I'm still speaking for my father. He's not. Right. He's, I, I felt that. He's not, yeah. It's not that he's even dead. He's just in the other room. Like, he's still here. It's almost just like. He, the spirit of my father indwells yes. me now. And yeah. so that's mm -hmm. how he got in. And then slowly he said, okay, it's me now. But now he was yeah. already in there. Everybody was worshiping him. And that's how he got in. And so the reason I think that's a good point is a lot of these things happen not right away. A lot of these things happen not because the person all the time is fully charismatic, even though he ultimately was. It was for sneaky shit of like, again, a whole congregation for three generations have been prepared mentally. And there is not, let me tell you, there's nothing that's more adaptable on this planet that I don't think anybody, than the human. And human beings can believe anything given the right circumstances. And so for generations. If they're conditioned yep. well enough, yeah. And so that's how, that's how we got uh, I mean, in. But just the fact that three generations prior, it was your great-grandfather and, and their guy that were kind of duking it out over is it going to be one man with power yeah, or, a, or a you know, a more yep. accountable council, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and then they split off. Oh, the one thing I was going to say is what's so wild is they, the churches just live like five minutes from each other. Roland Jeffs and and Warren Jeff, yeah, really? called Colorado City, Arizona. My church is headquartered five minutes down the road at a place called Centennial Park. It's hard to find on a map, but you can Wikipedia the Centennial Park group. But those two groups, in fact, so many people from my church still lived in Colorado City. Zero interaction and association with their members. Like we're living. They shunned, we them. shunned each it was, other. It was yeah. like they're the apostate. They were taught that if you talk with them, a 30 second conversation with an apostate could 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 break your testimony. And if your testimony is broken, your mm. soul could be ruined forever. So there's this real like it's it's bananas. One of the, one of the coolest. I think this is a key point because so many people think that we're all so different from each other. And mm. there's this research now. I read it in this book, uh, Influence by Robert Caldini. It's such a great book. But one of the things that he highlights is there are these groups of people in human history that the ones that have the greatest conflict are not the ones that are the most different oftentimes. It's the ones that are most similar 
only they don't yeah. know it. So near the end of my leaving, I was still in it and I was living down there in the Colorado City Centennial Park area. And I invited a couple of my friends that were just coming to visit Utah to go hiking and stuff like that to stay at my my place. And I was now starting to open up the, like, yeah, I grew up fundamentalist Mormon. Here's my church. And and one day I'm it's like, do you guys want to go see Warren Jeff's Colorado City in the compound? Like Warren Jeff's was in jail at the time. And I'm taking them and I'm telling them all the different stuff and how it's like crazy for what they think and what they believe. And I'll never forget this because one of my friends is like, oh, so basically they're just pretty much the same thing like your church. And it blew oh, my mind. I was like, no, <laughs> no, they're way different. Oh, totally because different. We, this isn't even and, close and to the same. Reflected. I was like, wait a minute. Like I lived my whole life feeling like there was this gulf between us. And then I just took yeah. somebody on the outside perspective. I'm like, okay, we believe in Joseph Smith. We believe in this. We believe in modesty, wearing dresses. The only thing that were different is just little interpretations of like, Modesty meant from in our church, women wear dresses to then Warren Jess will make have homemade dresses that are wearing pastel colors. But somebody like, there's actually a lot of similarities. And I'm like, it was a huge moment because you, hmm. you feel like that there's such differences between and sometimes the people that are so close to you, the like Warren Jeff's group, still to this day, my family members and others that are still in. The work is it called the work of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is the official uh, church name. They they t fully believe that they are so different from the the people that are five minutes down the road in the other church. It's 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 just fascinating the way we're wired. Oh, it really is, and and it's so similar. You, you know, when you talked talked about the splinter, right from from traditional. Mormons, let's mm -hmm. call it, and then fundamental Mormons. I mean, very, very similar to what I've seen in in you know evangelical circles as well. You know, where you know there's very, very little difference. Maybe one doctrinal point, and you've got an entire church that splits off and and goes and starts their own thing, and it's this huge deal because they've got that grip on the real truth. Yeah, the real right? truth. Yeah. Um, you, you know, one of the things that's that's just fascinating to me, right, is, you know, kind of how you were describing that Mormons, Latter-day Saints, as we understand them today, right, they they split off from the fundamental group or excommunicated the fundamental group. And they group, think we're totally different. Uh, just to pacify yeah. the government. Yeah. And yeah. they and that's a and they and again, you talk to any LDS person, they think that we're so totally different. And there's so many teachings and everything that it's 95 percent the same beliefs at the core. Well, it's like Southern Baptists or First Baptist versus Fundamental Baptist, yeah. right? Uh, that's a great that, example that's too. How it is yeah, if world. you look at all the different Christian denominations, they feel like they're so different and they're so similar. It's crazy to me, and especially because I mean, how how traumatizing must that have been for for the F, the FLDS people? Because you know, like you said, Joseph Smith and Brigham, Brigham Young they they've been preaching this polygamy mm -hmm. doctrine, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, nope, that's not the way anymore. Right. And so all these people that split off from the larger Mormon church, they just thought, well, no, we're, we're just we are abiding by we are holding to the, the Dude, true tenets. You're of so our right. Faith. Like, truth be told, shame on the LDS church, because it was not only traumatizing, but who controlled the government in Utah in those early stages? The church, because Utah was founded by the church. 
And so mm-hmm. with influence of the church, there were laws passed to give them the ability to now start prosecuting people that were living polygamy. Wow. And so they did. So I have great grandparents on both sides of my parents that were jailed by the church leadership. Ultimately, nobody knows this history. I mean, it, but it is there. It's documented. You can, you can research it. There's raids that happened, but my great grandfather, Charles Itting was in jail for no other reason. And that he was following his tenants and his beliefs that he had been taught by the church. Right. And they wanted him to sign this paper that just says, I'm never going to live polygamy when I get out of jail. But he was like, I can't like it. It was such a deep part of his, his faith now, but yeah. How crappy is that? So I, I want to go back yeah. a little bit to, to this community that you grew yeah. up in. Right. Um, b- because like you said, you had your dad, his four, four wives, wives yep. right? Yep. Four wives, four moms, 44 uh-huh. siblings. Uh, four, so 45 yep. kids. Uh, and, and you mentioned to me uh, that y'all were all living in one yep. house yep. at one 50, point? 50 people all in one house. Yeah. I mean, what what was that part like? I mean, did you did you guys live in a mansion or <laughs> it probably should what, have been bigger? Was it just sure. packed? Um, it was really tight growing up, but then when I was about 13 years old, we built this addition. So it went from probably let's see how many bedrooms, maybe like four or five bedrooms to then twelve, something like that. Twelve bedrooms, twelve okay. bathrooms. So So you basically built barracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always dude what Nobody's going to ever understand this if they, unless they they grew up in Mormon polygamy. But I actually talk about this with some of my ex cult member friends that grew up in a big family. I'm like, do you remember the day when you got your own bedroom? And like, oh my gosh, yeah. It's like this best thing. I got it when I was like 19. Um, have my own space. Yeah. And it's like this huge deal. Because yeah, you always just lived in the same. Uh, I'm surprised with that many kids, anyone had their own bedroom. Yeah, though. it's as some older siblings got married like one of my brothers got married gotcha. moved out um he and his wife was actually living there and then i was like i got to have my own bedroom for a couple of years and it was so heaven but what it was like we grew up on a farm a typical day is you know getting up milking the cow i milked the cow every day uh did you know worked on the garden uh, we had irrigation and so irrigate the water to come water the the corn the tomatoes we had pigs cows chickens we're pretty self-sustaining all of us were supposed to give our money to our dad as well so everything funneled to the top and if you made any money first of all we all worked in my dad's construction company well before we were of age that's quite a common thing in fundamentalist mormonism uh, is like child labor is like (laughs) not really taken seriously glossed over a little bit yeah (laughs) like i remember like 14 and 15 years old going to job sites and having to like hide my boss is here like like us having to hide but yeah growing up was just like we're all working together fighting together and like you know playing basketball just living life and so it was perfectly normal for you like you said early on right like that was just normal reality yeah i always had this itch and i didn't know where it came from i now in retrospect having been out the last few years to get out to do more like i remember having this like i love rollerblading and riding bikes and my dad had made a uh, sidewalk around the whole perimeter of our property and i remember as a teenager like craving to go rollerblade on the street go 
go ride my bike and, and it, it was strictly forbidden. It's like, no, why would you like, I never went to a park, like a public park. Uh, like, and he was like, that's why I created this here where it's like nice and safe. And I started to get, get on board with that. I was like, yeah, like I thought when I grew up, I was going to have like, instead of a fenced yard out of wood, I'm going to have a fenced yard out of cinder block. Like it's going to be a fortress. It's going to, you know, be away from all of the society. Like that's what I, like it was just the, the line of thinking was just like separate yourself from, from the world. This isolation mentality, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like in these types of fundamental cults, it, that's, that's such a common yeah, thread. It totally is. And the interesting thing with Mormonism is I'm a big fan of nuance and it kind of, there's a part of it make, that makes sense because there were people in, it's the reason there was even a migration West because a lot of people that were the early founder believing members of Mormonism, there was a lot of outside heat and they feel like they couldn't believe mm. and, and live their religious practices, not just around polygamy, but just being a, a new church. That's not like a common Christian or Catholic church. And so they, they had to leave so where they could practice polygamy or, or live any part of their belief system. And that continued. Mm -hmm to fundamentalism moving south when they were getting persecuted. Except the strange thing is right. the persecution went from the government or other church officials to their own leaders. And so when they right. got excommunicated, that's how the headquarters of fundamentalism, FLDS that Warren Jeffs is a part of, went to this remote area on the Utah-Arizona border called Colorado City was because they felt like that's the only place they could practice their their beliefs in in peace and so you have this long tradition mm. of get away get away from everyone so that we can practice the way we want to practice and live the way that we want to live you know and i don't know when i was young the thing that i felt was like i want to live the way that i want to live but i don't want to apologize for it i don't want to hide because mm. we were taught to hide like if a if a car came down our yep. dead end street run in the house or hide behind a bush because we couldn't let them know mm. how many kids were there because they were knew we were polygamous and if they knew we were polygamous they could call the cops and if they called the cops it was illegal because my grandparents went to prison for it and so my dad could go to jail and so we had to like not tell anyone who we were which got exhausting for a while that's okay so that is so interesting uh, because i grew up homeschooled ah. right I was homeschooled. I was in this school. Yeah. So that was one of the things that, that we kind of had to, to play act with as well. Right. Because if, if you were supposed to be in school, it was during that normal was school hours. Deal. At one yes. point, homeschooling yes. was illegal. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we had to deal with that to a degree, but I mean, y'all were having to hide from passing yes. cars. So they didn't know. And you just triggered the other reason. Was yeah, that, and that was also another reason. Because if it was during regular oh. hours, then somebody could be like, wait, I saw a 12 or 13 year old. It's 11 a.m. They should be in school, yeah. you know? And again, looking on the flip side, looking at my life now, I'm grateful for homeschool because it taught me to think for myself. Um, because... Yes. I mean, there's pros and cons because there are many of my siblings that because it was easy to slack on school, they did. They were like, I don't want to learn all this. So they didn't. And 
it's one of these mysteries of life that I'm like, what was the exact DNA combination that made me very curious to learn shit? Cause I was just like, I, I loved school. I loved especially math because, and I think part of this probably comes from Mormonism because Mormonism is so heavy on knowing absolute truths. And I loved math that I could mm. figure it out that I could, I would invent my own math problems to figure out and it was so satisfying. And so that, that love of figuring things out on my own is what I think ultimately got me out of it. It's kind of two-sided there uh, where you love the absolutes uh, because of these absolute rules that you grew up with. But at the same time, that, that same, those same principles actually cause you to, to question yes. what you, what you believed, yes. right? When, when did that, when did that start shifting for you? Oh, dude. How old were you when that started happening? 21, 22 was the beginning. Really? Yes. So okay. I know the day, I'm getting goosebumps just reliving it every single time. Um, I remember, I know the day. So I convinced my dad and my grandfather to let me go to college. I'm the first and only oh, okay. sibling to have gone to college. Because I, yes, really? because I loved school wow. and quite frankly, like something I was just ref, um, reflecting on is, that I haven't ever shared is, so I was living in a suburb of Salt Lake City. I just wanted to keep on growing and advancing. I hated my dad's construction company. I didn't want to do construction anymore. And I actually asked them if I could go move to where the headquarters is to go on a mission. A mission for us wasn't the same as LDS missions where we're proselytizing. It's basically just doing community work for the, for the church. But I crave that so much. And I now know that we're social beings and I needed to hang out with more than just my siblings and, and cousins. And I, they, I went and asked my dad if I could go on a mission and move down there. And he was like, go talk to your grandfather. Went and talked to my grandfather and he basically said no. There was this weird riff between my family and the and and the rest of the church because my family was the only family essentially that was living outside of the main community in fact we were oh yeah, really in fact we were commanded essentially from church officials to move but we never did and we never did because my grandfather who also was one of the church officials was told by some other member that's like, you need to stay in Salt Lake because someday we're going to have the temples back, the Salt Lake temples and stuff like that. So we should never, like, never leave. And so there was this weird tension. But so, so it was really like, keep, keep members here type of a thing. And so when I asked my grandfather, he just said no right away. He was like, mm -hmm. nope. You're, you're, you're basically already are on a mission. You don't need to go officially do that. I just think that's kind of between you and I, that's kind of to dumb what they do. Like he said some things that would have been so like taboo for anybody else to hear him say. So I didn't go on a mission. And so I was still antsy. And so I, I think this is one part of the reason they let me go to college because I had recently gone to them asking if I could go on a mission. And so I eventually went back and was like, I want to go to college. And immediately my dad was like, no, no. Why would you do that? I was like, because I want to keep learning. And and I was like, it's like, no. And I was like, Joseph Smith, our founder of Mormonism, said man is saved no faster than he gains knowledge. I want to gain more knowledge. So I used, used that line. He's like, 
Yeah, but I think he meant knowledge unto salvation. I don't know how you learning from a liberal professor is going to help you at all. Plus, they could, you know, give you bad ideas that's going to make you ultimately leave. You're going to probably start wearing short sleeves and everything else. And I was like, I promise that'll never happen. Never. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I kept asking him. He said, go talk to your grandfather. I went and talked to my grandfather. And he was like, well, what do you want to go for? I just talked to him like a couple months previous about the mission thing. And when he said no. And so I'm in there again. I'm like, can I go to college? And he's like, what'd your dad say? I said, like, he said, he's okay. If, if you're okay with it. What? And he's like, well, what do you want to go for? I was like business. And he was like, he like thought about it for a little bit. You know what? I've been saying for years that we need to diversify what we can do. Cause everybody's in construction. The way I grew up, it, you know how people talk about what do you want to be when you grow up? Like you're going to be an astronaut. Right, right. The way it was in my family was like, do you want to be, what do you want to be? Do you want to be an electrician? Do you want to be a plumber? Do you want to be a framer? Do you want to be, a, do you want to be some version of construction? Like that was the options. Like that's how everybody thought. That was, that was, that was pretty much the only thing that y'all exactly. could do, which, which made a lot of sense. You didn't need to go to college. Right. If all you're going to do is work in construction. Yes. For the family you might business go, you might get, you might get some trade education like to be an electrician but you certainly don't need to go to college sure. for any degree and so i told him i wanted to go to school for business i was actually deciding between computer science and business and i don't think they would let me go if i said computer science uh in retrospect oh. but i decided i would rather be a business owner and have somebody that knows computer stuff to work for me than me work for somebody else's business so i decided i wanted to go for business so when i told him that he was like you know what it's probably a good idea if one of us understands business so yes you can go but he gave me wow how shocked were you at that so point? happy i like i know I, I i can't even tell you uh, but he gave me stipulation uh he was like go to classes go home do like go to classes, go home, do not hang out with people outside of school. Certainly don't join a, join a fraternity. Don't go to any parties. And this is a big deal. Cause another thing in Mormonism, there's this whole concept of being in the line of the, your duty. And the opposite of being in the line of your duty is being on the devil's ground. When you're in the line of your duty, you're always safe. God's going to protect you. If you're on the devil's ground, you're vulnerable. And so he just gave me clear direction. Uh, and I'll come back to the the story of like how all this ties into me doubting because at this time, I'm so in it. I am so in it. I was not going to question and I believed it. My grandfather was one of the prophets of God. And the fact that he just let me go, I'm like so excited. And the fact that he gave me his blessing, I'm stoked. And once again, you're 21 at this yeah. point, right? Yeah. You're an adult. Didn't feel like it, but you, like <laughs> the the fact that you are 21 at this point, you're still asking your dad and your grandfather for permission. Oh, it gets worse. This, stuff. this is a perfect story. This is a perfect story. It becomes. I want to give it a story of of self censorship because that that it's wild how this happens. I remember one of my business classes, and then right after the story, I'm going to go to where I first heard the crack in this whole thing. That's I wouldn't even be here without that philosophy class, but. I'm in business class and my professor in my business class would often end class early for us to all go down to stone ground pizza in Salt Lake city to continue the conversation over pizza. And it was very deliberate because he was like, you know what? Entrepreneurship and business is often more free flow. It's not like structured and some of the, the best learning you're going to have is just 
not just me being at the front of the room talking, you talking with your other people and, and talking about some of the concepts. And so he would often end class early. But when he ended class early to go down to Stone Ground Pizza, I'm now in a freaking crisis because I'm like, can I go to that? Like my grandfather said, go to class, go home. Is this still officially class? Because it's hanging out. There's going to be some people drinking alcohol. There's going to be pizza. I'm 22 or 3 at this time. And I'm trying to decide if it's okay for me to go hang out with other adults to have pizza. Because if, I, because if I'm wrong and I'm on the devil's ground, I could go to hell. It's yeah. wild when I reflect on this. I remember being that is just terrified insane. if I can go do this. I ended up going, by the way, and it was like, this is okay. I, I, I rationalized it. Yeah, this is part of the class I'm doing. With the, if, if my grandfather ever sat me down and said, this never The ground doesn't feel too hot right now. I don't think I'm in hell yeah, yet. But, and I was actually not afraid of my grandfather. I was afraid of God. And I was. I just imagined if God mm -hmm. ever said, why yep. did you go to Stone Ground? Because it was, it's just what my professor said. I swear, I was just wanting to learn. Going back to the of what I call the crack. Even though I was going to school for business, I had to take generals. Sure. I had to take a philosophy class. That was probably one of the most dangerous things that you could give a fundamentalist Mormon boy. Holy crap. Um, it was a single class. So the whole semester was based on the matrix, the movie you're familiar with the movie, the matrix. Oh, perfect. Dude. This, this ties in so well to some of the stuff we talked about with my buddy Bryce. That was the one movie. You don't mean had Bryce Prescott? Was, no, 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 no. Bryce, uh, Bryce is the guy that did, um, he did the Shiny gotcha, Happy gotcha. People podcast series okay. with me. And it was, The Matrix was the one movie that he had access to while he was living at the compounds. Dude. It was the only thing that he could really watch. And he watched it over and over and over again. So Dude. yeah, that's, that's kind of So this is what happened. My professor, that was, it, it, we're, the whole semester themed off of The Matrix. I'm just thinking this is just a fun intellectual exercise. And then she, uh, she says, actually, the Matrix is based on a, it's older than however old the movie is. It's, it's based on a really old story from Plato, the philosopher, Plato's allegory of the cave. Have you ever heard that story? Okay. So the quick version for the listeners of Plato's story. My professor tells us the story. Uh, shout out Professor Jane Drexler. Uh, we reconnected last year, actually. Um, and I got to thank her for, oh, awesome. like, she had no idea what she was doing. But she tells us the story of, there are these people chained inside of a cave. They've been there their whole life. And she asks us the philosophical question, they're imprisoned, are they sad? I'm like, of course. Why? She asks. Because they're in prison. She's like, but it's all they know. They have no, they have no frame of reference of anything else beside that. So of course they're not sad. And I was like, interesting okay and she continues the story and as uh she tells the story there are these uh people chained and then once a day these shadows appear in front of them on a wall these shadows are their favorite part of the day it's their ultimate reality they think the shadows are more real than them they like argue about what the shadows are what they mean they're like sh like team shadows like it's amazing and then one day one of the people breaks loose from the chains. And he had noticed whenever the shadows appear, there was like a glow in a, in a back wall. And through his curiosity, he goes and looks behind the back wall for the first time. And he sees 
shadows are being created by someone holding up a shape in front of a flame. So he's like, that's what's creating the shadow. So if you can imagine for a second, like your entire reality just got shifted. Like it's like he thought like the shadows were were totally real. And it's like, oh, it's coming from this. And then he sees a, a crack in the wall and he it leads to the exit of the cave and he goes out and he leaves the cave. So just a second ago, he thought shadows of the tree of a tree, let's say, were ultimate reality. Mm-hmm. Then he sees the shape of a tree. Then he sees a real tree. His mind was blown, like his whole identity and everything was just shattered in an instant because everything he thought he knew was not true at all. Like just a, just maybe right. even at best, like a a, sh- a shadow of a tree is like a like one percent of the reality of a tree, right? And he thought it was everything. After it terrified him, he was like, but this is actually kind of awesome. There's so much more to life than I ever knew. And so he explored, he experienced things, he adventures like, oh my gosh, how did I almost live the rest of my life without all of this? And then he's like, wait a minute, but I still have friends and family down there. They need to know about this. So he goes back to the cave. His eyes have adjusted to light now. And so inside the cave, it's way dark. It's like he actually stumbles. They thought he had gone blind. It's like, no, I'm good. It's like, they're like, where have you been? He's like, oh, let me tell you, there's this whole outside world. And he's explaining to them. But of course, they have no frame of reference. This is the only reality yeah. they know. And so they're like, mm-hmm. not, it's not connecting. Like, dude, they think he's gone crazy. They don't know where he's been. He's trying to explain like, dude what are you saying and then he's trying to say how awesome it is and finally somebody in confusion is like what could possibly be better than the shadows we have and he says don't you understand what i'm trying to say these shadows they're nothing compared to what's out there what i've seen now they feel threatened wait a minute is he trying to take away our shadows? And because they feel threatened over their ultimate reality, they kill him. So my professor tells us the story and I'm just like, well, that's a cool story. I'm not thinking anything of it. But then she asks us these questions. She's like, okay, class, who are you in this story? And remember, I, my whole life was in love with truth. And so then she, and I liked to consider somebody that was fearlessly pursuing truth. And she says, are you someone that loves truth? And I'm pretty up. Yeah. She's like, are you willing? Do you love it enough that you're willing to leave everything you've ever known in pursuit of it? Mm. Would you leave your cave? Would you leave everything behind? to go get it. Would you step out of the cave or would you stay sitting in the cave because the outside world is so terrifying? And then she said, or the scariest of all, how do you know if you're just, what if you think you're studying truth right now, whatever that is, what if you're studying reality, but what if you're like those people that are in the cave? How do you know that you're not just looking at projections from others? How do you know that what you're considering truth and reality isn't just like the shadows on a wall. 
there was something in that that for the first time in my life I had just considered something. I was like, holy crap. There was not a single thing. There wasn't a single thing in my life up to that point that was a major belief of mine that I had individually, personally discovered. Everything that I knew to be true was from my dad, my grandfather, the people over the pulpit, the church leaders, or the books they told me to read. And in that moment, I was like, well, shit. It's not that I ultimately thought that it was wrong, but I was like, there's not a single thing that's outside of the cave. There's not a single thing that I know that isn't from something else. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what if it's, what if it's not? And that thought, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Check this out. <laughs> the thought of what <laughs> if it's wrong terrified me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like in an instant, man, instant, instant loneliness, man. Because in that moment, who do I have to turn to? Couldn't talk to my siblings or anybody about it because they can't know I'm doubting. I told no one who I was. I could, couldn't talk to the outside world. And so now I'm like, holy shit. So you've just got all of this inside you. I can't talk to classmates, my professor. And oh, that man. thought, I was like, so what did I do? I was like, the one solace I had is like, who am I? Do I love truth? Yeah, I do. I love truth. And if this is it, and I believe it is, if the work of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true, which I believe it is, God, I hope it is, I'll find it. I'll find that it is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to study. And if it's true, it will turn back to being true. And now I will get to have it have the satisfaction knowing that this is why I believe it. Not because my grandfather said, not because mm -hmm. my dad said, not because a book said, I will study what they tell me and what others outside of the cave says. And hopefully it points back. That was the really the beginning. I call that day the crack in everything. Wow, dude, that that is just crazy having that. I mean, basically you had an existential crisis. In that Holy moment, right? man. Holy crap. Man. <laughs> I, Oh, it's so wild how it's just lived too. Cause I just remember the terror because it was, it was terror, terrifying on so many levels, terrifying on what if I'm in yeah. a cult, except I didn't have that language. I mean, something that's wrong. Right. I'm like, well, wait, terrifying that it, that it could be, but then terrified of like what the outside world is like, yeah. I didn't know where, what was the, what was up and down now. I, I had no footing. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's that's one of the unique aspects of what you went through, right? Because sure, growing up in a cult for me, like we were very isolated. We were very restricted. You know, uh, knowledge was given to us. Information was given to us um, uh, in a very, I don't want to say like a, a devious way, but certainly a calculated mm -hmm. way. Like, you know, let's make sure they don't have access to to this information because it mm -hmm. might it might steer them away from the truth mm -hmm. we want them to believe. But it wasn't nearly as for you it was literally your dad and your grandfather that that was the only input mm -hmm. opinion and information you yep. were getting and i i believed it like it was 
I was a good, faithful boy. Like I, I decided when I was 15 years old that I wasn't ever going to have a girlfriend. I wasn't. So whenever I became friendly with a girl, like I was yeah. always making sure people knew like, no, we're not boyfriend and girlfriend. And I promised I would, I promised myself I would never kiss a woman until we got married, which happened. Like I went all through wow. teenage years. Like I've had, I was terrified of all the, like whenever a girl started to like me terrified, this is a test from the devil. Like, uh, this girl's liking me, but if I if I give her a little bit too much attention, I might like her a little bit too much. We might hold hands, we might kiss, we might have sex, and I'm damned, you know. So yeah, and like you said, you were all, all in. in. I mean, you were self governing, all in. Yeah. Um, and, and and I would say I was I was definitely all in on my cult as well up until about fourteen, fifteen, and that's when it kind of started shifting for me a little yeah, bit. For me, deep into my not not because I was in this noble pursuit of truth like you. But just because my hormones started to kick in and I was like, ah, I mean, there's uh, part of uh, that. Maybe, too. maybe, maybe yeah. it's all maybe it's yeah. all bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, part of that's too. like, I don't want to paint myself like this noble dude, because there's definitely parts of it, too, especially when I was coming to leave. I was like, wait a minute. If I have one life, do I want to be with just who my church gives me as a as a, as a spouse or do I want to choose the person I'm having sex with? I mean, that's a carnal thing. And that was a that was a big that was that was at least that was a non-zero factor of me like mm. greater of like i want to choose my mates of who i'm spending my life with if this is the one life i know for sure i hope that there's an afterlife i hope that there's something bigger than this but the thing i know more than anything is i've got this life and if i have this one life i have an option i have two choices i could either this is how i viewed it i could choose wrong and i could go to hell that was a very real thing for me. If I'm wrong and I step out of this, I could go to hell. But I could also live an entire life that is based on something outside of myself. My dad, the church, and stuff like that. And I was like, if there's a God, I have to believe that he's going to honor somebody that's truly following their own gut instincts. And maybe there's some, even if I'm wrong, that there's some solace that I don't understand on the other side of this. And so I was like, because it didn't make sense for me that somebody could be living like sleeping on a couch and being lazy and they, but because they didn't rock the boat that they get the total celestial kingdom experience. So I was like, even if I go to hell, I would rather live a life that is what feels right to myself, even if it's wrong, even if it is for reasons like I want to have my own say in who I spend my life with, you know? Right. Um, and so that's what made me ultimately make the most traumatizing ex decision. Cause people ask me all the time, what, like what was the most traumatizing part of being born in a cult? Honestly. Yeah. There was some shitty things that were like, everybody goes through something shitty in their childhood. And I certainly had that, that thank God for therapy has helped me go through. But the most traumatizing thing was, almost 30 years old, deciding to leave. That was traumatizing. Wow. Almost 30 years old is when you made yeah. that decision. So, so the, the crack started 20, in your yep. early twenties, 22, 23, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. said, right. And then eight years, 30 is when yeah. you finally got eight out. Years. Wow. It's been a process. And, and you, um, I, I mean, you had, you, you ended up getting yeah, married in I did. the cult. Yeah. As soon right? as I graduated, um, I had an arranged church assigned marriage. 
So I fulfilled the promise to myself that I was never going to, in fact, I remember her friends wanting us to like kiss in front of them. And I was like, nope, I waited this long. I don't want to even jeopardize. I don't want to be tempted by the devil. We'll be married. Like we were, I found out I was getting married. We were married two weeks later. So like it was not a long engagement at all. So I'm like, we can wait a little bit. We're getting married. Was this someone you had at least expressed interest in or was it just, Uh I mean, she was cool. Like, let's be fair. She, she's a cool human, like independent of me. We're probably not compatible. In fact, we weren't. And that's why, especially why we ultimately ended up what I call consciously uncoupling. It was a very different kind of divorce than most divorces. Mm. Like it wasn't nasty. It was just like she wanted to stay when I decided to leave. She did not believe in the kinds of things that I wanted to do and explore with life. And so, and she, it's all she ever knew. Like her best friends and family were in the religion. And I had thoughts like, well, I, I would say things like, yeah, but what about your your best friend, Jessica? And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, you and Jessica. And she was like, I don't know anybody, Jessica. And I was like, exactly. What if there's somebody in this, like the, the world's a big place and your only best friend, right. because this is all you know. And I, like I'd traveled enough yeah. to realize like there's more, there's other good people out there. Like there's like, mm-hmm. I know that we'll find community outside of it, but it, it like, I didn't want to, one thing I've also learned in this process, you can't force anyone out of any sort of belief system. Oh, it just no. doesn't work. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the, that's the same for a lot of, uh, as, as my friend Chalice calls them high demand, high control totally. groups, right? Whether that's a high demand, high control relationship, mm-hmm. religion, totally. uh, civic organization, yeah. It, you can't force someone out of those situations. It has to be their conscious yeah. decision. So, so you you got yep. married after you graduated yep. college. So around twenty four. Yeah, just before turning twenty five. Two weeks. Yep. Two weeks after you were told you're yep. getting married, you're now in this yep. uh, relationship. Yep. Uh, I mean, th- that was probably headed straight towards polygamy for oh, you sure. as well, yeah, right? Totally. Um, yeah. So that's what we we're gonna do. Like, I, it was just a matter of time before, like, even wow. if. Like, this seems kind of wild, but this is the, I mean, I'll just say it because the truth, because even any sense of me feeling like that we weren't compatible, we were pretty compatible, but I was like, I, like, she was cool. She was cute. She had these great qualities of, you know, motherhood and, and, um, she was like she like she was also a virgin when we got married. She had never had a had a boyfriend. And so any sense of incompatibility for me, I was like, well, the good news is she's just gonna be my first wife. So I'll probably mm-hmm. be with somebody wow. that, you know, is maybe a little bit more compatible for me and how we think and how we are and stuff like that. There's a lot of things I learned from that relationship. But the one thing that was really great is our ability to to communicate, you know, and speak, like talk about everything. It was my first time having like a true best friend where I could say anything Mm. and start expressing my doubts. In fact, when we got married, she was way more liberal in her thinking than I was. But she was still in the same, like in this part of the same community, right? Of course. Yeah. 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 She had lived down in the Utah, Arizona border area where the headquarters were. And I had lived in Colorado City, Arizona. She lived in Colorado City. Mm -hmm. Um, I lived in Salt Lake and, you know, part of the arrangement can happen a few different ways. Usually what happens is women go to the church leaders and say, I'm ready to get married. And when they say that, it can go a few ways. They can say, 
okay, our tr- we're going to pray about it and say who you belong to, who God wants you to marry. Then they'll come to her and say, is this, this is what we think. What do you think? You want to pray about it? Or they'll ask the girl, have you prayed about it? Is there somebody in mind? And the girl will say yes or no. She says no. They go through the process. They pray about it and find somebody. Or they'll say, yeah, I have this person in my in my mind. And then they'll take the name and go pray about it and then come back to her and say yes or no. When they went to her, how it worked for me is she was like, yeah, I do have somebody in mind. And she gave him my name. Um, nice, dude. Wow. I didn't like, like I knew, I knew of her. I knew her family. I hung out with some of her siblings, but she was seven years younger than me. And like she was 18 hmm. when we got married. So obviously like i w- like we would have never had any sort of like i had like a long conversation with her once when i was like 15 and that was enough to impress upon her that she was like oh that guy's kind of cool and he's going to college and stuff and so then she three years later asked for me well uh, i mean that props to you i i don't know i don't know if anyone's ever asked for me <laughs> like that uh so she goes to the church and tells them yeah calvin's calvin's the guy for me they pray about and then say yeah that works and then two weeks later you're you're in this committed relationship. Yeah, what's funny side story. I was given the wrong name at first. So the church leaders mixed me up with someone else and gave me somebody else gave me somebody else's name and I was like and I knew this other person and I was like like not against her and I was like that doesn't feel compatible at all but as a guy we were taught that if you ever rejected a blessing from God, like you're you, like, you'll be cursed. Like a blessing will turn into a cursing. Yep. And when was I going to get another chance? So I was like, remember driving home being like, okay, I guess Emily and me that's, Oh man, I did not get along with Emily. And then uh, like, I did not see that working. And then, and then they called me back and was like, actually, hey, we yeah, <laughs> it's not her. It's so-and-so. And so then I, uh, that's yeah, funny. it was it was wild. You, you know, it it, it is kind of interesting that that it's the woman who who picks the guy in, in these scenarios. Yeah. That's that's different. Yeah, it is. Um, so that that part is good. I think that part giving you know giving them a little bit more control. I guess the guys still have play, especially like I don't think it's an accident that the church leaders have the most wives of of any member. You know, so they they still like pull pull strings and say, you know, like I've I've known of guys. In fact, my dad, my dad went to the church leaders. One of the church leaders, when he only had a first wife and said, can men get a revelation for women, just like women can get a revelation for men. And the church leader was like, yes, actually. And he was like, "Okay, because I have a I feel like I have a revelation for your daughter. And he actually wow. pretty ballsy, right? And that's how he got his second yeah. wife. My dad got his second wife by going to the church leader and saying, "I have a, an impression over your daughter." And he agreed, and you know that's how he got his second wife. So wow, your dad sounds kind of like a yeah, he's kind of a he G, kind of is. Honestly. I mean, if you look at it, like especially like he he definitely has the most kids of all of my uncles. My dad's an overachiever. So Calvin, I, I mean, what what you've what you've told me about so far, uh, I, I mean, just from how it started for you, the background of, you know, this, this fundamental group, um, you working your way through childhood into college. Now you're married. Um, I'm not married. but at the same like, time, or, or, no, oh, no, God, I, God, I just mean in, in, yeah. in the historical yeah, yeah, perspective. Yeah yeah, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. yeah. But you're already starting to question things. I, I, I know we're, 
we're running out of time here. So I, I I'm thinking if we could do a, another episode, um, and, and kind of talk about how you ultimately transitioned that's, out. Yeah. Cause I know that's just crazy. To me, that's too. the biggest story of everything that that's, that's, that's where my life begins. It's been a wild, uh, mm. last five years. I, I know that there's just so much more to this story. And, and so I want to, I want to give it the time that it cool. deserves. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally down. We will come back uh, with part two of Calvin's story uh, and how he got out of this fundamental Mormon cult. Uh, now went from like a small town in Utah to now living in Manhattan. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> New York a City. Bit how crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back Sounds with great. part two. Okay.